What do you love most about Christmas? Is it presents or family? I would imagine the younger you are, the more you like the presents, and the older you are, the more you like the, 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 uh, the time with family. I'll tell you, my, my favorite moment at Christmas is the moment on Christmas Eve when all of the kids are in bed, and my wife and I have brought out all of the presents that we've been hiding all over the house. The stockings are up, ready to be filled, and the cookies and the milk are out, and then my wife goes to bed, and I use, and the last person to, to, to go to bed. And there's that moment when all the lights are in, in the house are out, the kids are all asleep, and the only it's, it's just the Christmas tree lights, and I'm drinking a cup of hot cocoa or something like that. I'm just sitting at like that moment right there. I love, I love that, that Christmas moment. There's another moment that happens in the morning. So the tradition in our house is that the kids aren't allowed to wake us up until six o'clock. So they'll wake up at four or four thirty because they're so excited. They'll go downstairs and they'll look at everything. Like they're they're allowed to go through the stockings that they got and all the stuff that's in the stockings, but they can't open up any presents until six. So then they come upstairs and they wake us up at six. Usually we can hear them already talking and being loud and everything, but we go down and they can't open up any presents until we all get there. And so everybody's waiting. They're sitting on the couches and they're waiting for me to pass out the presents. And, you know, they're like, they're like, they're like, they're like this, right? They're like super excited because I get to open up presents. I get to, and then I'll do a dad thing where I'll go, hey, how about, let's do something different this year. Let's all go into the kitchen and let's eat a big breakfast before we open up the presents. And the kids are like, no, right? Like that moment of anticipation before the first present is opened is another moment that I absolutely love. Or maybe you love the, the post-present hangover where the wrapping shrapnel is everywhere and the kids are all go- talking and everybody's excited and happy and they're going through all of their toys. Maybe they're organizing it. Ryan used to organize all of his presents from large to small and right. And then Garrett wouldn't let anybody touch his presents. And Lauren is just going around looking at everybody's stuff and super affirming. And each one of our kids' personalities came out of that. Then they separate into their rooms and you can hear them playing all over the house. And it was a Christmas well done. That's a beautiful moment. I love that moment. Or maybe some of you, you just love that somebody else is doing the Christmas dinner today. Maybe you're going to your mom's house, your grandma's house. Maybe this is the family tradition. And you love the way all the families spread out all over the South Shore, all all get together at somebody's house for dinner on Christmas. and, And you love that. Love is definitely a word that we associate with the Christmas experience. And there's a lot of things to love about Christmas. Love is actually the final word that we're looking at in our Advent series this year. And what I want you to see from the teaching is that love, the kind of love that's most associated with the actual events of the first Christmas, have more to do with God's love for us than it does with our love for each other, or even our love for God. Now you're familiar with, I'm sure, most of the parts of the Christmas story. The angels show up to the shepherds keeping watch over their flocks by night. And they say, today a a savior is born, right? You, You know that part. And then they sing glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace and goodwill toward men. And then in Luke chapter two, verse 15, when the angels had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that's happened, which the Lord told us about. So they hurried to the village and they found Mary and Joseph and there was the baby lying in the manger. And that 
was their first Christmas. It's beautiful. And that's the part we know about. Later on, Jesus has different guys that become his followers. And then when he goes back to heaven, these are the guys that then start spreading the news that God had come for everybody, to everyone. And one of those guys is named John. He's one of the most famous of Jesus's followers, of his disciples. And he wrote one of the narratives of the life of Jesus that we call the, the book of John. But then he wrote specific letters that were intended to be spread to all of the churches. And his first letter that he wrote to all of the churches, as far as his advice and his teachings for them, in 1 John chapter 4, so it's toward the end, he references the first Christmas and tells us a little bit more about the reason for it. So we're in 1 John chapter 4, verse 7, where it says, Dear friends, let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. But anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world. When was that? Christmas. So that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love. Not that we loved God, but that God loved us and sent his son, when was that? Christmas, to be a sacrifice to take away our sins. So I've got two, Chris, two questions for you, for you here at the beginning. The first question is this. Have you ever tried to love somebody that you thought hated you? It's hard. Man, it's, it's really hard to love somebody that hates your guts, that treats you like dirt, that avoids you passive aggressively. It is unbelievably difficult to love a person like that. And many of us were raised in a church that told us that we needed to love God. And then what they said is that God was angry at us because of all of our sins. So then we lived as our childhood or growing up in fear of this God because we also know that he's going to judge us for our sins and so there was a posture that we kind of assumed that God had in regard to the way he saw us, where we're his enemies and he, he must want to get us because he knows every sin we've ever committed and every thought that we've ever had, even the bad ones. And that's true. And God is the final judge. What this does is it conditions us to believe that God's always angry at me, that he doesn't like me. I mean, he knows every rotten thing I've ever done and he's going to judge me for these things? Like, that's not a person, I find it easy to love. That's, that's a person I'd rather avoid. And truthfully, there are people who know about your most embarrassing moment, like the moment that brings you shame, and you avoid those people. So if God knows everything I've done, including those things, and I'm supposed to love him? Bro, I... I think it's understandable why we have a hard time trying to feel like we love, we love God. But then this passage of scripture comes along and it turns all of those assumptions about God's attitude toward me upside down. Like the whole reason for Christmas was like, it was motivated out of God's love for me. So here's what I want you to do. 
before you try to worship God, before you pray to God, or even before you try to love God, I want you to pause for just a few minutes to consider what the Bible says about God loving you. Reflect on the value of a God who has already given you so much. Like, what does God, the creator of everything in existence, owe me? Nothing. But if James is right, James, the half-brother of Jesus, who said that every good and perfect gift that we have is a gift to us from God. Acts chapter 2 says that God is wooing us to himself. So just like when I wanted my wife now, Billy Jane, to like me, before we were even dating, I did nice things for her. I said hello, and I would sit near her table in the cafeteria, and because I wanted to do nice things to turn her attention and her heart towards us. And the Bible says that that's the motivation for all of the good things that God has already brought into your life because he's wooing you to himself. Like it is, it is God's intention for you to be brought close to him and all of the bad things we've ever done to be taken away so that there is a clean relationship between us and him. Like that's how we ought to think about God. Like the number one thing that you and I need to remember is that this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sin. God loves you first. That's what I want you to know. So here's my second question. Have you ever tried to love somebody that was already crazy about you? Like, that was easy. It's the easiest thing in the world. Somebody who thinks that you are the most amazing man who ever walked this planet, or the most amazing girl who's ever walked this planet, right? That you're an awesome person. Somebody who goes out of their way to do good things for you. That person is easy to love, aren't they? And that's who God is. So remember, God is the one who loves you first. Going back to this passage of scripture that we just read, it said, God showed, verse 9, 1 John 4, 9, God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life. This is real love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. The religious word for receiving eternal life is salvation. And religions may use the word differently, but the idea is generally the same. It's that we need to be saved. And that's why Jesus was born. But what does that mean? Like, have you ever been saved from something? Like I, I have. Maybe you were saved from a, I don't know, a car accident. Somebody woke you up as you were falling asleep or you were saved by the, the grooves on the side of the highway when your tires hit them. They wake you back up coming from home from college and you didn't fall asleep. I was, I was saved. Uh, when I was six months old, my mom and dad lived in Pensacola at the time, so I was born in Pensacola, Florida. My mom was 20 when she had me, and my dad was 21. Uh, they were, man, they were stinking kids. They were really young when I was born. And my mom was born in Jacksonville Beach, Florida, and she grew up in Savannah, which has a beach. So my mom's a beach girl, always like, that's her thing, man. So anytime she has a day off, she'd go to the beach. So just having a baby didn't stop her. Now, this is back before they had baby floaties that you could sit in, uh, back before they even had the arm floaties that you could put on your arm. 
What they did have, though, was blow-up rafts. They're about two feet wide and about six feet tall. So my mom and my dad go to Pensacola Beach, and my mom puts me as a six-month-old on the raft. And she's blown it up. Obviously, it's floating, and she's got her hand on the raft. She doesn't have her hand on her child, which has an eternal soul in it. She has her hand on a $3 raft. And she's talking to my dad, and a wave comes. And I, my little six-month-old self, I just roll right off the raft into the water. Now, the water wasn't clear. It's murky because of all of the sand that the waves are pushing up. And my mom screams. My dad looks. And baby Sean is gone. And they start freaking out. And they're under, they, they said I was, I don't know, 30 seconds, a minute. They said it felt like forever. And with every second that was passing... The panic and fear was exponentially growing in my mom and dad's heart. Right? Like this, they couldn't find me anywhere. My dad, my mom is screaming for help. And finally, she felt my little baby foot. And, and, but I had already drowned. I was dead. I was, I'm, I'm just kidding. She, she finds my foot and she pulls me up upside down, right? Pulls me up out of the water and I cough for a couple of seconds and I, and then I, my little baby self just started laughing and thought it was a, a great thing. And, and I'm, and I'm, I'm here now. And as grateful as I am that my mom rescued me from death when I was six month old, because I mean, I was too early to even form memories. And all of the things that God has been able to do has done it in my life. Like, I'm incredibly grateful. The truth thing is, is that she didn't actually stop me from dying. She just postponed it. Like, I'm going to die. All she did was delay something that was already going to happen. That's all she did. But the Bible says that Jesus came to save us from something permanently. So you and I both experienced some type of being saved, some type of salvation at some point from something temporary. But God's intention is to bring salvation from something more permanent, to rescue us from something that lasts longer. First Timothy chapter 2, verse 3 says, This is good and pleases God our Savior, who wants everyone to be saved and to understand the truth. So what is it? that we need to be saved from. Going back to 1 John again, chapter 4, verse 10 says, This is real love. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as a sacrifice to take away our what? Our sins. We need to be saved from our sins. What is the reason for the Christmas season? It's sin. That's the reason why God sent His Son to take away our sin. Jesus didn't come to teach us how to live a better life. He didn't come to teach us how to be nice people or, or to be good, how to get along with other people or how to walk with God. Truthfully, the prophets and the disciples could have done that. Like the son of God doesn't have to show up to tell us how to stop being jerks to each other. God sent prophets and he given us, like we could get that in a book and we do have that in a book, the Bible. So why did the son of God had to come. And it's to deal with sin. See, we don't celebrate Jesus because he was born in a manger, because he was born in poverty. Truthfully, over the last 2,000 years, there have been millions of babies throughout history that have been born in poverty. But we only celebrate one of them because none of the other ones 
dealt with our sin. God sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sin, and that is the meaning of Christmas. We don't celebrate Jesus because of his birth. We celebrate Jesus because of the cross and his resurrection. Truthfully, no one celebrated the birth of Jesus for the first 400 years of Christianity. For the first 400 years, no one celebrated his birth at all. But we've been celebrating his resurrection since day one. That's why 400 years later, uh, they couldn't find like the actual building in which he was born. We don't know what actual date on the calendar he was born. Like we don't. Like, we picked December 25th, but there's only a one in 365% chance that he was actually born on December 25th. We just picked the day. We don't know because the birth wasn't the important thing about the birth of Jesus. It was the purpose for which he came. And that's always been the most important thing. So then why celebrate the birth of Jesus at all anyway if his birth wasn't the most important thing? And it's because of what Jesus did when he grew up and became a man. He made himself a sacrifice to take away our sins. Christmas, or the birth of Jesus, is the starting date for when God physically showed up in the world that we had screwed up to fix what we had broken. And because of that, rather than spending the rest of my life with sin, I'm set free from it. Rather than entering into eternity with sin, which would have separated me from God forever, that sin is now removed from me by faith, and then whom the Son sets free is free indeed. I'm saved. Saved from sin that would have sent me into an eternity separated from God in hell, and I'm saved from that. And that's worth celebrating. Sin and salvation aren't just a part of the Christmas story. Sin and salvation are the Christmas story. This is real love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. And that is why we love God back. Maybe you've never looked at Christmas this way, like from a theological or more biblically consistent point of view. Maybe you've wondered why the birth of a baby 2,000 years ago is such a big deal anyway. And maybe you've thought, like, I, don't, I don't know why we're still doing this. Maybe it's always been more about the presence, the family, and the tradition for you. What I want you to do this Christmas is I want you to consider how much God already loves you first. He loves you. He loved you so much that he sent his son to sacrifice himself to save you from the sin that threatens you most. Sin. There's a verse that says in John chapter 1, same guy who wrote 1 John, his letters, wrote a narrative of the life of Jesus. And here's what he said in verse 12 of the first chapter, John chapter 1, 12. But to all who believed him, Jesus, and accepted him as the Lord of their life, he gives the right to become the children of God. So how do I do this? There's another verse that says in Romans chapter 10, verse 12 and 13, Jew and Gentile are the same in this respect. They have the same Lord who gives generously to all who call on him. 
For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Saved from what? Sin. This Christmas, you have the opportunity to receive something that will last longer than socks. Something more valuable than an all-leather indoor basketball. You have the opportunity to be rescued from the one thing that threatens you for all of eternity. It's your sin. So what I want you to do is I want you to accept God's offer of love and the person of Jesus who was born in a manger, who grew up to willingly offer himself as a sacrifice for sin, who was resurrected from dead from the from death on the third day with new life to give you new life also. I want you to ask him to forgive you and save you from sins. Forgive me, God, for every way in which I have broken the commandments and been selfish to my fellow man. Then receive his forgiveness and call on him to be the Lord of your life and you will be saved. Let's pray. God, I love you with all of my heart because you did love me first. You love me so much that you sent your son to live a sinless life who would then voluntarily offer himself as a sacrificial payment for me. God, I don't deserve that. You don't owe me that. But the fact that you give me that voluntarily is honestly, sometimes it's a little overwhelming and I'm grateful. God, for those of us who are spiritually disconnected, it's not that we don't believe in you. It's just that we've sinned against you and against others, and we've never gotten that taken care of. And if that's where you're at, then I want you to pray. You pray your own prayer silently in your heart. God, I know why you showed up in the human story. I'm thankful that you offered yourself as a sacrifice for my sins, and I'm asking you to forgive me. Can you make that your prayer? God, forgive me for all of the times that I've broken your commandments and been selfish towards my fellow man. Thank you, Jesus, for paying for my sins. Thank you for raising from the dead on the third day with new life to give me new life. And that verse that says, for whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. God, I am calling on you to be my Lord and to save me. Can you make that your prayer? God, I can't make anybody call on you for salvation. I can't. What I can do is I can show them what you said. Only your Holy Spirit can soften somebody's heart, and I'm asking you to do what only you can do, and that's to pull us to repent of our sins and to place our faith in Jesus so that you can rescue us for our sins, from our sins. God, thank you for that greatest gift of all. Bless us and our families this Christmas season. Help us to remember that Christmas is about our need to be rescued from our brokenness and your solution to our problem that we could have never found on our own. We love you with all of our heart because you love us with all of yours. In Jesus' name, we all say together, amen.